Hello everyone, hello from Perth. My name is Kieran Hargraves and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this UWA Hong Kong Alumni Network webinar, Mental Health in Times of Transition and Change. Thank you for joining us from Hong Kong and um, everywhere else across the globe as well. The University of Western Australia acknowledges the custodians and traditional owners of the land on which our campuses are located. At the main campus, Crawley, where I'm speaking to you from today, the university acknowledges the Wajak Noongar people as the traditional owners of the land on which it is situated. The Wajak Noongar remain the spiritual and cultural custodians of their land and continue to practice their values, language, beliefs and knowledge. As the Associate Director of Alumni and Community here at UWA, I'm personally committed to supporting our global alumni community. COVID-19 has impacted our global alumni community and events like this webinar provide a really great opportunity to connect our graduates with the university and also with each other. Now today's topic is of particular interest as COVID-19 has forever changed not only the way we work, but also the impact on our mental health and it's really brought that to light. Today's much more than an event as well. It's about building the community um, and connecting alumni with each other. I'm really looking forward to hearing from the panelists shortly um, and I'll be back at the end um, after the Q&A with a few final um, closing remarks. But for now, I'd like to introduce UWA alumni, Hong Kong ambassador, Dr. Andrew Stock, who's the director of and clinical psychologist at ClinSight Services. Andrew, over to you. Thank you, Kieran, for that warm welcome. It's, it's great to be here. I can see that we've had uh, some attendees join us already. And so really looking forward, as Kieran said, to, to, to having a chat today, exploring uh, this issue of, of mental health and, and how we're transitioning and continuing to, to learn and evolve in the current climate that we find ourselves in, whether that's uh, in Hong Kong, where I, my, the clinical practice that I run is situated, or whether it's in, in here in Perth in Western Australia, which is where I am currently physically located and, and, and sadly unable to, to, to visit uh, Hong Kong um, for the past uh, 18 months as it has it now, as this uh, pandemic has continued to uh, continue. Of course, interestingly, whether I was in Western Australia or in Hong Kong, uh, in terms of uh, comparing with other parts of the globe, actually two areas where, where um, things have been managed quite, I guess, successfully, if you might say it that way, in terms of uh, not being widespread uh, infection and, and in terms of quality of life, perhaps uh, not bad compared to other parts of the globe. And so some interesting things to explore from different perspectives. I'm really excited to be here, not only um, to, to connect with you all, but also to, to remind you about the wonderful um, uh, group of alumni uh, from the University of Western Australia in Hong Kong. I first joined the alumni committee many years ago and, and uh, we're headed up by uh, my friend, uh, uh, Ricky Mui. And, and a number of other wonderful committee members. Ricky might even be here today, actually. And, uh, and obviously over the past 18 months, it's been difficult to, to engage in the, the typical activities that we like to do as an alumni group. I know there was a recent event that occurred uh, uh, in Hong Kong and it was great to see some people smiling, getting together um, and, and really uh, connecting around that. So we're going to continue to try to find great ways uh, to connect 
um, with all of the wonderful UWA alumni in Hong Kong. Uh, and, and we're very, very pleased to be here today to provide this particular webinar. I'm very pleased and honored to be your moderator for today and to uh, introduce our wonderful panel. Let me start by introducing uh, Dr. Carmela Pestel. Great to have you here today, Dr. Pestel. Thanks, Andrew. Dr. Pestel is a clinician, lecturer, and researcher who's worked as a clinical psychologist and a neuropsychologist for over 20 years. She's been the director of the Robin Winkler Clinic in the School of Psychological Science since 2013. Funnily enough, just a few years after I graduated from the University of Western Australia with my honours in psychology. Dr. Pestel oversees the internal practicum for postgraduate trainees in clinical psychology and neuropsychology, and also co-led the development of a new graduate certificate in FASD at UWA. That's fetal alcohol syndrome, I believe. Her career commenced as a, uh, as a, clinician, in, a clinician in child and adolescent mental health services before holding several positions at a direct level within the health department of Western Australia. This included being the director of the neurosciences unit for 14 years, She's a fellow of the Australian Psychological Society and current treasurer of the WA College of Clinical Neuropsychologists. Dr. Pelsell's research investigates the neuropsychological implications of neurodevelopmental disorders and brain injury and concussion across clinical and forensic settings, a very important area of research that has the potential to improve assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. So wonderful to have Dr. Pestel with us. I'd also like to other, introduce the other wonderful members of our panel. Jacqueline Tiao. Over the last 25 years, Jacqueline has held several C-level positions globally in the telecommunications, media, and entertainment industries. As Chief Digital Officer of HGC, she's responsible for transformation technology, cybersecurity, data, and digital capabilities for customers and internal staff. Throughout her career, Jackie's been a key driver in creating industry game changes and shifting the paradigms for her customers. Jackie, wonderful to have you here today. Thank you very much. Very honored to be on this panel today. Great. Last but not least, I'd like to introduce Josh Sims. Josh has worked in the relocation industry for 20 years. He graduated uh, from UWA in 2011, a couple of years after me and has worked from the ground up, originally relocated to Singapore from Perth in 2014, and then took on a new challenge at a very interesting time in Hong Kong in 2020. So he's been based in Asia for seven years now. Josh has got a very important job that's happening at a very interesting time and, and, and obviously very much is aware of what's going on in Hong Kong at the moment. And so it's great to have you here with us as well, Josh. Thanks, Andrew. Pleasure. Okay. Wonderful. All right, folks. Well, before we jump into our panel discussion, I wanted just to remind everyone that we're talking about mental health today. And for any of you who might feel as though uh, any of the discussion brings up uh, a level of distress to the point where you're even not feeling safe, then we're going to share a resource with you that's available through Mind Hong Kong, who are a wonderful organization in Hong Kong who are able to point you in the direction of uh, support services 
um, if you're having any emotional or psychological challenges and you need feel the need that you need to access some help. Of course, if it is an emergency, we'd encourage you to dial 999, but otherwise we hope that that helps to point you and anyone else you can think of who might be needing some support in the right direction. Jackie, I'd like to pivot back to you now and, 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 and kick off our conversation. This COVID-19 outbreak, it's really posed significant and ongoing challenges to the worldwide economy and people's daily lives. And it continues to have far-reaching consequences beyond just the physical spread of the virus. Jackie, how have you found that adapting to the crisis has, has necessitated even more creativity and innovation in a place in the world, Hong Kong, that we know is already quite renowned? for its innovation and creativity. That's right. Thanks very much for um, the introduction. It's very kind indeed. And um, welcome everybody. I'm glad everybody could join today. Um, I think we've been um, very uh, lucky uh, in Hong Kong and that you're quite right. We're, we're, we're tended to be quite innovative in the, in the worst of times. And, and now with COVID um, on our doorstep, I think we've had to pull out quite a few other tricks out of the bag. Um, I think what I see, well, HGC services all segments of the market, right? So we, we look at consumer, we look at the small, medium enterprise, and we look at large enterprise. And I think what I observe is a, um, an acceleration of uh, adapting to, to things quickly. And you'll find that in particular, I'll, I'll talk about Hong Kong in particular, you'll find that in particular, Hong Kong has always been very quick to adapt. So if you look back and when we had SARS, for example, we had um, the avian flu, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Hong Kong as an economy, as a community has always been very quick to adapt. I think what surprised us is some of the innovation that has come out of um, uh, adapting to this, what we're calling the new normal. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, a lot of people ask me in, in, in what I do, why do you not move into more self-service? And it's because in the consumer market or in, in the large uh, mass market, people actually like to call us. So even if I gave you a self-service function, I would always have people on the phone. And what we found was that during COVID, for example, our call volumes actually went up and we actually had to put more people on the phone. I think part of it had to do with the fact that uh, you know, this, this, this social distancing, this, this isolation at home, uh, this, uh, you know, lack of social contact was prompting a lot of people to actually make more phone calls. It wasn't just us. So where we got a lot of demand from was actually our mid-market segment and our, our large enterprise. And, and we were actually asked to come help with solutions, help with more capacity, etc. We said, what's going on? And uh, we found that uh, not not just ourselves, but amongst our customers and our customers' customers, they were all getting more people dial in, call in, uh, transact more. They were chatting online more to to organizations. So this is outside and above, you know, them chatting with their own friends. And some of the more innovative solutions we've had is actually enabling um, what would seem to people as normal conversations now. And I find that quite fascinating. It's like they've actually moved from one type of conversation to a whole other world of conversations for themselves. And that's quite fascinating about Hong Kong. 
Absolutely it is. And Jackie, I love what you had to share about, about getting on the phone, right? Yes. It's, it's an interesting situation that we find ourselves in. I know I talk to a lot of my clients about uh, Zoom fatigue, which is an interesting thing to bring up as we're on a Zoom meeting as we speak. Uh, and, and yet there's something actually quite, I guess, um, nice about an old fashioned phone call as a way of connecting at the end of the day, uh, whether we're dealing in, in business or in healthcare or whatever the case may be, we're, we're, we're working with people. Okay. And, and, and I find that so interesting that, that the old fashioned phone call really had a renaissance mm. during That's that right. period and it was a way to connect. That's yeah. Right. And the yeah. innovation comes in from just taking a whole lot more of them, um, you know, finding new levels of service, finding new types of services people are actually looking for. Uh, a, a lot of companies have actually asked us to enhance, for example, use AI to enhance a lot of the chatbots and the chat um, solutions that, that they have. Um, because it, they needed it to be more more natural, like people were actually talking to to real people. And I know it sounds weird, but you know I think uh, a, a lot of our customers customers actually find that very comforting. As I don't think they really mind that they're talking to robotics at the back. I think they find it very comforting that it sounds and feels like a real person at the back. Mm. Yeah. How interesting! How interesting! I want to throw over to you quickly, Josh. Have you been on the phone more? Yeah, I was just about to make a comment about that. You know, one of probably two things. My my team every day tell me that they spend much more time on the phone. Uh, probably a lot to do more with the complexity of of relocating at the moment, but also I think people are a little bit more willing to share um, these days about what they're feeling and how they're actually going and and the reasons for their move. Whereas before. You know, it was always just kind of my moving for work. Now it's I'm actually making a move because of my family or or how I'm feeling or you know and how we're going as a as a family unit. So yeah, we my team tell me every day, Josh, we might be doing the same amount of revenue or something like that, but we're spending way more time on the phone. Um, so yeah, another complication for us. How interesting, Dr. Yeah. Pestel, you're the clinical director at the Robin Winkler Clinic. And here in WA, we haven't had as many lockdowns, as many restrictions, but has there been an uptake and an uptick in learning more about utilizing technologies, telehealth and et cetera? Absolutely. And even though we haven't had an extended quarantine or a high number of cases, I think that um, mental health issues have still impacted on, on people here. Um, we've seen a huge upsurge in the demand for psychological services and also telehealth as well has been very popular too. And so we've had to um, train up our, our practitioners to get used to that type of medium. Mm -hmm. How interesting. I, I've certainly recognised a similar uptick in demand for services in Hong Kong. I think at most places in the world... Uh, that would be the case. Very interesting to hear. Josh, I'm going to come back to you now and to, to talk a little bit more about, you know, even though the fact that there is a pandemic going on, research seems to be suggesting that workers are, are, are still willing to relocate. So how has the onset of flexible work arrangements influenced this? And what impact on mental health have you seen on people moving or perhaps finding it a little bit more difficult to move topic of a lot of those conversations on the phone, perhaps, 
in Hong Kong and APEC? Yeah, so I suppose there's a few kind of dynamics to it. Um, people are moving, but we're seeing a lot of one-way movement. So like I was kind of referencing before, people are, are moving because they're going back home. So you take Hong Kong as an example, uh, a lot of expats are calling it earlier on their assignments or so whereas you might be finishing or planning to leave in a year from now because you might have been separated for a year or a year plus, you're deciding to go earlier. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. But in terms of flexible work arrangements, they kind of don't go so hand in hand with mobility because, you know, tax and compliance is a big part of, of what we do. So you can't necessarily always work in one country, be paid in another country. Uh, and we have seen a lot of companies actually mandate uh, you, you can't work in another country unless uh, as a blanket rule and only have special approvals, you know, so you could think, okay, whilst I'm a resident of Hong Kong, I'll go back to Australia whilst, whilst the wind, whilst this blows over and, and continue to work from there. But, you know, once you spend 90 days in Australia, you have to pay, you should be paying tax there and you'll be paying tax in Hong Kong as well. So, you know, it's, you can imagine for organisations that have, you know, upwards of 50,000 employees around the globe managing that part is, is quite difficult. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, on the one-way movements as well, out of Hong Kong, we've been seeing a lot of uh, local Hong Kongers relocating, which is not a new market for us, as Hong Kong people have, you know, traditionally always left Hong Kong uh, for other countries uh, to immigrate for, you know, usually for education of their kids or a different lifestyle. But the political kind of issues that came about through the national security legislation brought out in June last year, kind of uh, really complicated things. So we saw a lot of people start moving almost immediately. Uh, you know, we altered our, our, our keyword searches. We made sure we had advertisements in Cantonese to attract that market and it, and it kind of paid dividends really quickly. And, you know, the, the markets of Australia, UK, especially with the new BNO regulations that have come in, making it easy for people to, to relocate there means a lot of people have been taking it up. So previously, if a, a Hong Konger wanted to move to another country and become a resident, they often would pay to, to as a, a kind of investment visa, upwards of a million euros or whatever it might be. Now it's about 500 pounds uh, for you and your family to, to, to kind of go through the visa requirements in, in the UK under the BNO program. So that's, that's kind of a new market for us, so to speak. So then on the mental health side of things, yeah, I definitely won't want to comment too much being not being a professional in that in that realm. So I'll just kind of share what I see and maybe some personal parts of it. You know, separation and uncertainty, of course, right? You know, Hong Kong, if we take the, the Hong Kong Australia lane, uh, I'm from Perth, of course, uh, but work in Hong Kong, two of the most strictly controlled areas in the world uh, and both with a COVID zero approach right now. So that doesn't bode well necessarily for making uh, movement easier later on. So I definitely feel like I'm stuck here. Uh, and the only way out for me would be, and my family, uh, would be to, to, to either have a job back in Australia or, or leave our jobs and relocate permanently home. Uh, so I, I think I'm not the only one in that boat. Uh, I think many people are, are dealing with that. Hong Kong also um, had mandated quarantine camps for close contacts and, co and contacts of close contacts. Uh, families, that was a massive stress. You know, if you were at work and you were a close contact to an, an uh, colleague and, you know, you were put into a quarantine camp, if you had young children, they would have to come with you. So I think that played a massive, um, had a massive issue on people leaving 
you know, because they're too scared to, to go through that or put their family through those things. I think um, Hong Kong is leaving their country of birth and the and, and kind of the, you know, the sadness about what Hong Kong might become afterwards has a big factor in it too. You know, the what influence the Chinese education system will have in 10 or 20 years when, when their kids will we've gone through it you know they're very concerned about that so that's the biggest driving factor we've seen for people and Hong Kong is leaving uh, uh, you know recently in the last six months and I could probably foresee that to continue in a steady trickle not even a trickle but a steady flow for the next five six years until we have a bit of a better idea of what's actually happening here. Josh you're not wrong plenty of sources of, of uncertainty and, and, and then for, for so many people that leads to, to sort of a, an ongoing sense of, of anxiety. And, and, and perhaps I think also I heard in your sharing personally, and I appreciate that, um, a bit of a sense of feeling, feeling trapped and feeling really unsure about, about what, the, what the future will hold. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people in Hong Kong, a lot of people around the globe are experiencing that to some extent. Before I, I, I jump to, to Dr. Pestel to speak more specifically to some of the mental health considerations, I want to go back to you, Jackie, just to ask a little bit about at the organizational level, have you noticed any ways in which we're trying to, to, to meet some of these needs that are coming up for employees, for, for teams as they're dealing with uncertainty and, and, and change? Yeah, um, I think um, a lot of companies have, uh, at the organizational level, uh, we see a lot of different types of strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at, say, for example, some of the multinationals, some of the big banks, uh, ever since the start of COVID, they've mandated uh, stay at home or mm-hmm. w- remote working. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that they haven't been able to either travel into region or they haven't been able to travel back to HQ, but definitely remote working. And there's been a massive adaptation to that because as you know uh, with highly regulated industries uh, a lot of the data cannot be sourced outside an organization so people have had to adapt and a lot of organizations have had to adapt Um, you know we're talking about banks financial services insurance they simply cannot access customers information outside a closed system so there's only so many things they can actually access remotely so we found that um, people have had to adapt. They've had to um, create certain spaces for employees to either be back on site. They've had to adapt their systems. They've had to adapt their processes, for example, to allow, um, say, you know, your account managers, your wealth managers, your private banking. That's a huge industry in Hong Kong to access the, the, the customer's information and actually service their customers while remote working. Then if you think about things like, for example, you know, the other big industry we have here is retail, for example. A lot of retail admittedly has moved online. But what's surprising about Hong Kong, Hong Kong's not traditionally um, an e-commerce online um, type of economy. It's not like you would see in Australia or the US, for example. And Although that had been pre-COVID slowly growing, we found that uh, it, it wasn't actually growing that fast. So, so, so they, the people are going online. They're going on to the big Chinese retailers, for example. So the Tianmao, the AliExpress, and places like that. But in terms of say 
a lot say mid-market or you know how how say for example how the us or europe has adapted where a lot of organizations actually took their products and services and went online during the pandemic and actually did very well out of it we found that in uh, hong kong enterprise there there was a desire for the enterprise side to move online but the the, the that demand for 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 that wasn't shared on the consumer side if you like and we found that really quite peculiar if you like mm. and um we found that people what people missed was literally a social being hong kong being a very social animal people missed actually going out having a meal walking down the malls and um you know mm. just walking down the streets and doing things like that mm. and i think they missed that element uh, the online side has grown and people have adapted to it uh and, you know hong kong tv mall for example uh first profit in the in in five years of operations and when you get something like that i mean amazon took almost 15 years before before it made a profit mm. and a lot of the similar type organizations pre covid was actually projecting similar type of numbers uh, and and you look at hong kong tv mall you know i'm going to say a significant part due to the pandemic made a profit within um you know within uh, five years of operations which is which is really quite impressive for mm. an online mall mm. uh in in things like for example service industries um uh you know travel hospitality and things like that i th- i i i think you'd find that uh, as much as at the start of covid they um there was a massive downturn and you know the airlines are still really in a world of hurt they've actually come out and accelerated a lot of their digital transformations and how they've thought about going digital and uh, you know you, you look at how, uh, you know you look at the government's push for example staycations right? you mm. can't go on a, a vacation but have staycations mm. we have the cruises that just go around you know hong kong and that gets booked out about 3 months in advance now and i think people they know people are wanting that experience they know uh, people do need that outlet and the government's mm. been quite uh they they've not tried to be as restrictive as other governments which is which is quite pleasing but they've mm. also put a lot of work into working with especially the SME sector which tends to be the backbone of 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 our of our base economy mm. and also in the mid market segments uh you know cruise cruises airlines hotels and things like that and really trying to work with them to bring Uh, different types of services. So you know the staycation market in Hong Kong is phenomenal. I don't think mm. you know people have checked out that many hotels in their life. And if you look at it, if you look at Airbnb now, everybody thought Airbnb would just just stop and drop. But if you look at Airbnb now, the the number of innovative new experiences and new types of accommodation you can get in Hong Kong is quite amazing. Mm. So we see a lot of that coming out of industries. uh and you know people are really fighting hard i think fighting mm-hmm. hard to survive mm-hmm. in this day and age mm-hmm. um and i i hear what josh says about um people leaving and uh, i think it's common knowledge that there was a record number of people that actually migrated um you know there was a net migration out of hong kong this year but if you look at um the people that would stay it's like any other country right you will have the net nets that will stay in hong kong and uh at some point in time the hong kong economy has always bounced back about mm. i think we tracked it and the hong kong economy tends to drop but it bounces back by a factor of about 
three to four X each time mm -hmm. something like that happens. And we track this and you, I think it's available on the government website as, websites as well. You, we track this all the way from the Korean War actually until wow. now. So 19, 1950 until now. And we said over a period of 50 years, how has the Hong Kong economy actually bounced back? And every time something external affects Hong Kong, we found that the bounce back uh, or the growth rate on Hong Kong and the bounce back was about three to four X. So the COVID effect actually ha has been the same. So Jackie, we're finding the industry is really growing. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, 70 years of data to sort of back up this. And, and what I loved about what you shared was my uh, a reminder of, of the, the, the wonderful stubbornness of, of, of Hong Kongers to say, this is important to us. This is important to our health and well-being to be able to get out of our small apartments, to connect, to shop, to eat, and, 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 and how that's an important part of, of culture. And, and also, as you said, the bouncing back, the resilience that, 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 that's part of that. And so part of that is, is, is looking for those important things in our lives, what we value the most that's right. from a day-to-day -day perspective. The other aspect, I think, is, is really recognizing that, that it has been a challenging time for, for the city um, for many different reasons. And Dr. Pestel, before I ask you a little bit more about some of those impacts, just in general, for all human beings, really, of, of uncertainty and, and, and how, that, how that impacts us, I want to selfishly um, ask a little bit more about, about your research first. Uh, I, 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 I noticed that you're interested in, in, in FASD, and, and it was actually in Hong Kong where I, I attended a, a workshop just before the pandemic set in that I learned a lot about the updated research on FASD and how that's still at odds with what sort of the, the general public is aware of in terms of, of, of you know, the, the issue of consumption of alcohol during pregnancy. Uh, but I'm just quite interested to hear a little bit more about your research. Selfishly, as the moderator, I'm going to ask that you speak to a little bit about that before we talk a little bit more about COVID-19 and mental health. Sure. Well, in some ways, it is related to the pandemic because we, we know that since COVID-19 started, there has been an uptake in the amount of alcohol people are drinking. And, and mm. I'm also wondering whether there's been an increase in, in pregnancies as well with people mm. having not much else to do when they're in quarantine. But um, we, we, researchers around the world are, are really starting to recognise the toxic effects of alcohol on the growing um, baby. And um, I think there's a lot of myths still around uh, that and a, a lot of misconceptions too, even amongst, uh, you know, medical people, people with medical backgrounds or clinicians and so on, not really quite understanding the toxic nature of alcohol. And currently the Australian... Uh, guidelines in HMRC guidelines are that no alcohol is safe at all throughout any um, period of the pregnancy. Um, it's a myth that it's um, only not okay to drink during the first trimester. It's actually um, potentially could have consequences you know, throughout the whole pregnancy and there is a dose dependent relationship. So the more alcohol that's drunk, the more likely there are 
to be uh, a range of effects that can really be permanent and, and long term. So it's really important that we get that message of prevention out there without judgment too, because there's a number of reasons why women drink during pregnancy. They're often told that it's okay by their doctor. I was certainly told that when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, so it can, it can be for a whole host of reasons and we just be, need to be, I think, more mindful of that as, as, as psychologists and as um, and family members and, and community members as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my partner and I were told the same thing by a medical doctor not too long ago. So there is, there is certainly more and more opportunity to make sure that people are updated about what the research is telling us. So I very much appreciate that. And certainly in the age, I'm aware of that research as well, at least here in Australia, that suggests that there's been a significant increase in the amount of alcohol consumed on a daily basis by Australians, probably as a way of trying to deal, perhaps not in the most adaptive way, with the stress that comes from all the uncertainty and significant change that's been fairly consistent, actually, across the course of this pandemic. Mm. Dr. Pestel, how do these factors tend to influence our mental health? In many ways, and I'm sure we can all reflect on our own experiences and we've probably had a, a different set of reactions to COVID-19, you know, from initial kind of shock and surprise and, and you know, the, the roller coaster of emotions that's followed that. And, and for some people, it's been particularly difficult if they've faced... Of more financial pressures. There's just been so many disruptions across so many systems that we interface with, whether it's been the workplace or school or, you know, our own health. People are much more reluctant now to go to hospitals or to seek out medical support. So um, I think uncertainty is very difficult to deal with from a psychological perspective. We know that one of the factors that makes it particularly difficult for people who are in quarantine is when they don't know when there's going to be an end. I think as humans, we all like to be able to plan ahead and, and um, you know, feel like we're moving towards a goal. And there's something about not knowing um, about the future and I guess that also brings in the uncertainty around coronavirus we we don't really know how it's going to affect us the long-term effects of it whether we're going to contract it and so that uncertainty is particularly difficult I think um, there's a range of common mental health reactions that we're realizing has occurred and an increase in in mood disturbance, people that are, are more depressed, more anxious, um, particularly. And we know that there's also, while some people cope better, and it sounds like from what you were saying earlier about Hong Kong as a society, that tends, sounds like it's quite a resilient community in many ways, but there's also uh, sectors of society that do find it more difficult. And they are particularly Frontline workers are a particularly vulnerable group because they've got their own fears around infection and also, um, I guess, um, the, the worry that they're going to transmit that 
uh, to family members. I know my daughter's a doctor working in emergency here and she was very concerned about that when we had that initial outbreak in Perth back in March and it, it continues to be an anxiety, I think. Um, there was there was also a, a study done last year in Hong Kong, which I thought was interesting, where they surveyed nearly 600 um, older adults um, over the age of 60 and found that um, people who lived alone um, or who had multiple um, health conditions were much more likely to have um, adverse outcomes as well. So um, I think other vulnerable groups too are people that already have pre-existing mental health conditions and then um, that can make, you know, the, the stress of COVID and the pandemic can actually ag aggravate those symptoms as well. And even though it sounds like Hong Kong and in many ways WA's in being in a similar situation, we haven't had the pressures of extended lockdowns like they have, say, in, in Melbourne. Yet, despite that, there's there it's been um, there's still been a, a huge pressure on um, mental health services, and and I think part of it is the uncertainty, but also that that disconnection from uh, family and friends, that feeling of being trapped, not being able to go overseas, not been, and that's particularly difficult for international students here or other people that find themselves separated from, from family and not able to share those significant life, life events like weddings and funerals, and um, which, which is so important as part of that grieving process. And it's almost a, a compounding, factor I guess in that which makes it particularly difficult mm. yeah Andrew may I add something to that that may be of interest so you know I, I love what what doc, the doctor is saying I think um, here here's a thought right if you look at uh, some of the fastest growing uh, areas since we started the pandemic they're mostly, I shouldn't say they're mostly, they're a couple of categories, right? And they're all social categories. One is esports and gaming, right? The second category actually is in dating apps. And one of the fastest growing apps in China is something called Xiao Eyes. So I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's Xiao Eyes. It's, it's, it's an AI generated, um, how should I say? If you've ever watched the movie Her, with um, Scarlett Johansson. It, it's pretty much like that, right? And uh, it, it's an AI-generated uh, female, uh, and um, I won't go into the details, check it out yourself. But basically, it's for people that are lonely. And it started out targeting men that were lonely uh, because of all the shutdowns, the isolation, the restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there is a lot of discussion right now on you know how people you know people's mental health during COVID, right? During COVID, and I think it's a very real issue. I think there are a lot of challenges for a lot of people with the uncertainty, with the isolation, uh, you know, with the lack of social contact, etc. What I think will actually happen is once we actually get out of COVID, you're going to see a whole other range of mental and psychological issues because of the amount of time people have been spending on things like games, for example. So two categories, right? Mm. The first one being games 
uh, e-games, e-sports, any sort of games, uh, the amount of content that is being generated now, uh, gaming content, it, it's, it's just insane at the moment. And then that second category where people actually believe they are liaising with other people, but they're not. They're, they're actually not. They're, they're AI generated. So you, you have to wonder what sort of, you know, health issues, mental, physical, and otherwise, would that cause uh, mm. once you come out to another level of normal mm. uh, post-COVID? And I think mm. that is pretty worrying. That is actually very worrying. Jackie, a really interesting perspective that you've offered mm. there and, and very interesting to hear about some of the uh, technological advances that are, that are being part of this adaptation that we're observing. What I'm hearing there is, uh, through all your sharing today, Jackie, is that one thing that's happening is we're rediscovering these seemingly perennial truths about, about the human experience and the, the, the good old-fashioned connection, even if it's a phone call, goes a long way to really being a protective factor for our mental health. But also down the other end of the spectrum, there are new and interesting ways to navigate that. And that, and that yeah, there's, I guess there's really an uncertainty and maybe for some people there's almost an excitement and, 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 and some new opportunities to be seen in that. The other thing you mentioned that I can tell you I have clinical experience of is that some people might think that someone who might experience social anxiety has been really a fan of this pandemic because it's meant that they've had an excuse essentially to stay in their own home and not be faced with that. But what I've found from my clinical experience is in fact that as there have been these question marks about reopening and re-engaging, that has set a lot of people who experience social anxiety back and they feel as though it's really exacerbated their sense of that. And so there is certainly more work to be done, more support to be provided. I want to uh, uh, go back to Dr. Pestel in a minute. But first of all, Josh, you spoke also about your uh, experiences of being in Hong Kong and, and, and being disconnected from, from other friends and family here in Perth because of the very strict border controls that are in place. What has worked for you on the ground in terms of keeping a bit of a sense of, of your sanity and, uh, and, and, and a sense of feeling uh, generally okay um, about things. Has it been Airbnb? Has it been staycations? Has it been um, the approaches? It's been, it's been tough for us. So I re, when I relocated, we had a five-week-old in tow. So um, that timing was, was it, it's kind of like it is a silver lining because We've had to have and and have we've had so much time with him as he's been growing yeah. up. If he, mm. if I was in the office normally, I you know I would be spending maybe two hours a day coming back when he was before bed and things like that. Um, but otherwise, you know, especially at the early parts, I was home for a lot of it during quarantine. Was was great. Um, so I think for me and my wife, we've we've used you know him as our motivation um, to to keep to keep things sane. Hasn't been easy for sure. Um, but he's also the source of a lot of our anxiety in terms of the separation from his, from his family. So unfortunately he hasn't met anyone that he's related to yet. Um, mm -hmm. And he's almost two. So, and you know, this is not a, um, this is not a unique situation. This there's many, many people in this. Um, so, you know, we're talking, I think it was uh, Dr. Pestel mentioned before about, you know, maybe how many extra people are creating babies during their, their time during quarantine and, 
at home. Like this, you know, I'm sure if that number's gone up, there's people experiencing the same thing. So for us, it's just been a juggling act, you know, so it's both an inspiration for enjoying our time here, but also uh, a source of anxiety for what he's missing out on and what, mm. what his family's missing out on too. Um, Cause it goes both ways. I think. Yes. I really appreciate you've highlighted really two important things. There is, you know, we're not trying to pretend like it's not hard. It's really important to acknowledge that for everyone at some level, there's been sacrifices and a level of grief and loss almost experience for so many of us but well, also that grind hasn't it you know yeah. what i mean it, it, it was never as fast as and over as, as we thought it would be it's turned mm. into a long mm. slow grind mm. um mm. that's still ongoing yeah and there's even a sense of, of of monotony that i've heard from people across the globe you know talk about yeah just it being a grind that's a really good way to put it on the other hand there are things that we can slow down and be grateful for that might be increased time with family that might be reduced commute times a number of things that i've 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 heard anecdotally dr pestel from a from a from a research perspective are you aware of any particular things that have proven to be quite helpful in dealing with the the anxiety and the stress that comes from the uncertainty in the pandemic it's a, a really good question andrew and you were mentioning before about um, the grind and almost a, a, an avoidance uh, pattern developing. And so what we found is that there has been almost a, a COVID apathy, I, I call it, where people have been reluctant to return to work or it becomes so much harder to go out. And I think that's in part due to the the lack of stimulation, um, just from kind of having the, the, you know, people's world shrinks. And that's particularly the case for those in, in quarantine as, as well. So in terms of what's helpful, obviously reaching out to existing mental health services is particularly important. And I know that you've shared some resources and I think we might have some others online that people can follow up. There has been the advent of a lot more online uh, therapy uh, programs and um, psychological practices that are now offering this in a way which I think is very positive because what we found in Australia is that it means that people who are in more rural or remote locations or mm. unable to access therapy because of their family situation or transport issues and so on can, can now access therapy in a way that they um, weren't before able to. And, and you know, we, Joshua then was kind of implying um, or talking about his little one and, and the implications of disrupted attachment or not being able to attach to, um, I think, important family figures or other people in a child's life. And, and it just reminded me that there are going to be these long, um, long lasting implications of COVID, mental health implications and other effects that we've talked about that we haven't we really don't quite understand now. And that's why I think it's particularly important that if people are finding it difficult to seek help because it, we're in for a long haul. It's, it's, you know, I don't want to be all doom and gloom about it, but it's, it's, it's going to become a way of life. And 
um, the ramifications are, are ongoing. So, you know, all those usual common sense things we tell our clients um, in terms of managing stress, reaching out to existing supports. Um, I know there was a study that found that in Hong Kong, what was particularly um, useful for uh, and built resilience was that families could engage in leisure activities together and engage with their community as well. That's really important. And we researchers, particularly at um, my school at UWA, uh, are very interested in sleep and the effect that good sleep has on improving thinking and, and emotional regulation and mental health. So it's mm. important that people still get good sleep and, and eat well and exercise well um, and, you know, reach out also to people in your life or your neighbour who might be living alone, who might be older, mm. people that are in those vulnerable risk groups because um, and ho hopefully we can destigmatise mental health um, mm. issues and, and maybe that's what I've noticed with COVID actually. There's um, more, it, and, and even amongst my students, I'm finding they're more willing to talk about their own challenges and we've seen mm. that with sports figures coming forward and, and talking about their struggles and I think that that's so important that it becomes mm. part of a, a usual conversation and, and doesn't mm. get... Um, destigmatised because that that's going to be very helpful as well. I couldn't agree more, Dr. Pesto. You've just actually reminded me of a, an initiative that, that Mind Hong Kong, uh, the organisation that we're, we're going to, uh, we've shared the link, uh, who can send people in the direction of immediate support if needed, have also just uh, launched an initiative called More Than a Label. And uh, it's really sort of exploring the fact that, sure, there are, you know, these sorts of diagnoses that people who are experiencing mental health, ill health, I should say, might receive, but mental, we all have mental health. And therefore, by, by its very definition, at some point in our lives, especially, I would say, during a global pandemic, our mental health might move a little bit along that continuum, and we might experience some level of mental ill health. What a wonderful panel I have uh, the privilege of moderating today. I feel like we could just continue to chat for, for a long time, but I want to give our wonderful attendees now the opportunity to ask any questions they might have. Now, if you'd just like to jump into the Q&A and, and, and share those questions, if you have a question for a specific panelist, please uh, make, that, um, make that known. Otherwise, if it's just a more general question for the panel, I'll be sure to, 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 to pass it on and, and see what people uh, have to say about any questions that one of our wonderful attendees have for us today. Josh, where do you see things going to in 2022? I mean, for us as a business, we're kind of forecasting a little bit of the same. Uh, we do expect a bounce back though in the second half of next year. Um, a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to look up what Jackie mentioned before about this three times, four times bounce back because my, my CEO asked me about that quite a lot. And if I can show him some data that um, gives him some confidence, um, that would be great. Uh, so, I mean, for us, you know, to be successful, we rely on people to, to be able to relocate globally without, without issue. Um, coming into Hong Kong, the numbers are down for, for immigration by, you know, kind of 80%. Uh, 
uh, in a lot of in, in across all fields as well. So it's it, it's really hampering a lot of the other parts of our business, which is just not moving. It's immigration and and apartment searches and things like that. So, you know, we're we're being conservative. We're going to take advantage, of course, of um, of what's happening with with the outbound market that we see, and and then just you know kind of hope that things do open up a little bit uh, in the second half of next year. I think. Hong Kong will have to make a decision at some point, but unfortunately that's dictated and mandated outside of Hong Kong for now where there's a lot more influence over local decision-making. So, you know, we just, for the rest of us waiting, we just have to wait and see when that happens. Mm. Um, there's some chat that that will happen after the Olympics in February, okay. the Winter Olympics. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, I don't remain too hopeful uh, just okay. yet. So there's still, I guess, a, an amount of uncertainty and a wait and see approach, as you said, Josh, and, and, and maybe room for a healthy amount of, of, of mindfulness, this idea of taking it one day at a time, one moment at a time, actually, even yep. being the present moment, because, you know, one thing that I think that the pandemic has also done is it's taken away this nice illusion that us human beings have of being in control of things because because in many ways we really aren't and and that's when it's particularly important to think about how can we just focus on the things that are important to us on a daily basis whether it's a a, a, a young child that, that josh you and i both have the, the privilege of, of of experiencing at the moment yeah. or whether it's another aspect um Lisa has, has tuned into the, the q a and 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 made an interesting point about not only you know, the fact that it's been quite difficult to communicate with friends and relatives uh, based on 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 the, the the restrictions that have been put in place because of the pandemic. One thing that I worked with a lot as a psychologist in Hong Kong was uh, differing political views within families and that making conversations um, a little bit more difficult to have. Um, um, and, and how to have difficult conversations. I'm going to put you on the hot seat, Dr. Pestel. How do you have these difficult conversations with family members where there might not be agreements? It might be a political disagreement. It might be differing views about vaccination. How do we navigate these conversations healthily? It can be incredibly challenging, particularly if somebody has very different views than yourself. And, and I guess you have to think about what is the ultimate goal because you can maybe try and convince somebody of your perspective, but if it means that that's going to erode that relationship um, to the extent that you're no longer talking, you, you have to weigh up really what is, what is important for you. Um, it's almost... You know, you need to pick pick your battles, I guess, because we're we're already under so much stress and there's so much pressure. Um, but you know, I don't think there's any easy answer to that question. It really depends on each person's situation. And you know, yourself as a psychologist, there's so many different factors at play. But it's about trying to, I guess, respect other people's points of view and maybe. Um, you know, trying to be diplomatic at times if it means that um, the consequences of that are going to be far worse. I don't mm. know, I'd be interested in what you think, given that you're working, you know, in, in the community as well. Sure, sure. No, I think you do need to be really aware of, of, of what, what 
what you value, what's important to you. And, and sometimes our values uh, come into conflict, don't they? So we care about our families. We also care about other aspects of, of our lives and what we think is right, uh, perhaps at a political or a societal level. And so I think trying to, to, to honor both those things, but also just recognize that that is a conflict that is going to cause tension within ourselves. And so maybe we come back to this idea of making sure we're trying to look after ourselves. If we're going to go into one of these difficult conversations and we're already stressed and we're not handling that stress well, maybe we're more likely to get a little bit overwhelmed by our emotions. So I agree with you. No easy answers to that question, but certainly trying to look after ourselves and honor what is most important gives us our best shot to deal with them. Jackie, we've got another question that's come through. I am aware of the time. So I'm going to ask for you to do like a 30 or 60 second quick answer to this wonderful question from Ricky, who's asked as a leader in your business, have you or your company created any initiatives specifically during COVID that have been particularly successful for your staff or customers to help them cope? You're on the clock, Jackie. 100%. Uh, thanks for the question, Ricky. So I was talking uh, previously about e-commerce platforms. One of the things we actually created was not just our own e-commerce platform. We actually created a platform for uh, some of our customers to offer employee rewards programs because what we found was with a lot of employees remotely working, a lot of the mid-market and smaller companies couldn't afford or couldn't build uh, quick enough employee rewards um, programs. So, and people didn't want things like, you know, uh, run of your mill Maya vouchers or park and shop vouchers. It was meaningless and it didn't build a lot of employee engagement. And it's not the same as having, you know, your, your colleagues around and actually building that sort of um, attachment to a company. So what we actually did was we created um, out of our own e-commerce platform, uh, the ability for companies to do one-off rewards programs, uh, uh, you know, we really just ran it like an e-commerce loyalty program. If you wanted, you could create, I don't know, UWA vouchers, UWA tokens, for example, and they could be short-lived tokens. They could be very specific to UWA branded stuff, for example. Uh, they could be, I don't know, um, uh, Robert Walters points, for example, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, we found that a lot of our customers, their employees found that a whole lot more meaningful and they were more engaged with mm. something that they felt was very personal um, uh, with the company, right? Rather than just your know, run of mill, I'm just going to give you, you know, start 25 bucks, Starbucks vouchers, you know, that sort of thing. People were, weren't liking, they weren't really getting to it those yeah i hear jackie it's more personalized instead of as you said just a starbucks voucher you know the the run-of-the-mill type of you know gift that we get for people something yeah. that has got a little bit more thoughtfulness attached and, and is about what the company is all about that is really really wonderful and it also gives them a platform where employees can actually come together as you said you get zoom fatigue right mm -hmm. so and a lot of people were in you know you're not going to have virtual drinks every other friday you, you couldn't mm -hmm. do that right and mm -hmm. not a lot some people want to come out some people don't want to come out so they're missing a lot on the aspects of team building mm -hmm. uh right now we have restrictions i think it's maximum 10 or 12 or whatever it is uh that mm -hmm. we have in buildings so we're finding that we can actually provide a platform for people to come together uh, That's wonderful, personal. Jackie. Yeah. That really is wonderful. Perhaps a wonderful theme to finish on this idea of coming together. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Dr. Pestel. Thank you, Josh. 
for being here today, coming together, working with our attendees. Kieran, over to you to wrap up today. I'm sure we could keep going, but it's been a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. And thank you to all of you for, you know, for such a great conversation and sharing your insights and experiences today. I'm sure everyone on the call I mean, those who, who uh, watch the podcast later have really got a lot out of it. So thank you so much for being part of it. I'm sure everyone's giving you a virtual applause as we speak. Um, I just want to encourage everyone to stay connected um, to the alumni community as well. You know, utilize your community, keep connected. Um, and remind everyone that we will be sending out a survey um, about the event today. We want to make sure we're continuing to give you the events and activities that um, are of interest. So please um, fill that out and give us your feedback. Um, but until next time, thanks again for joining. Take care and stay safe.